0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream of the great guests that I think you're really going to enjoy. So the student loan crisis, it's something that Republicans reflexively move against. They say, you know, you took out these loans, you're stuck with them, bad choices, take that. But I think there's a better strategy. I think there's a more winning narrative for the ride on how to address this problem. And my guest today is somebody who I think has put together a very good answer to this question. In this Stepman, she is the host of the High Noon uh podcast, and her columns appear all over the place, including The Blaze. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me and thanks for focusing on this issue. I know it's something the right, as you say, just usually sort of dismisses with uh a wave of the hand, but it has come back again and again, I think, politically to bite us in the in the rear, let's say rear. Um, <laughs> the fact that we uh we we don't pay attention to this issue the way that we should.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the importance of patronage, understanding political maneuvers is not just a policy, uh, you know, a, a progress or or some kind of a white paper somewhere, but something that's actually going to attack your opponent's base while also, uh, you know, helping you in the long run. And so I think that's also a critical part of this discussion. Guys, we're going to get into all that in just a minute but before we do let's hear from today's sponsor universities today aren't just neglecting real education they're actively undermining it and we can't let them get away with it america was made for an educated and engaged citizenry the intercollegiate studies institute is here to help isi offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country isi understands that conservatives and right of center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference. Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, Go to isi.org. That's isi.org. All right. So like I said, so many Republicans, their knee-jerk reaction to bringing up this issue, the the college loan crisis, is just saying, well, you know, you signed up for it. It's $100,000 when you were 18. Clearly, you knew what you were doing. Now you should just be stuck with this forever. I think it should be pretty obvious to people why that's a losing argument, just in general, but specifically with a bunch of people who are about to become pretty much your leadership class across the nation. But can you go into a little bit as to why this isn't the best move, the best approach for the right to have?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what it's missing, um, laying aside the political convenience for a moment, but what it, in, in truth, what it's missing is that the current system and the requirement of taking out loans um, is in very, very many ways a a leftist setup, right? It's a leftist patronage network, and we have made specific policy decisions over the last sixty or even seventy years that have given students, um, you know, a, a very sort of Hobson's choice coming out of high school, right? Uh, the 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 one route is for you to take out loans that are massively disproportionate now to the value of a degree. I think a lot of, if you did go to college in, in the 90s or the 80s or even in the early 2000s, um, the numbers have changed drastically in terms of the requirement of how much money you have to take out also vis-a-vis the value of the degree, right? So um, that calculus has changed and now you're, you're entering the market oftentimes getting the same job that your father or your grandfather would have been able to get without a college degree with the same salary, except you're coming out with 80, 90, $120,000 in debt that salary will not sustain that debt, right? So, but the other option is to, um, you know, is is not to uh, get a college degree. And while we are, you know, trying, and I think the right has tried from some time to beef up essentially routes to success or the middle class um, with, that don't include this this credentialing treadmill, the fact is those routes are much more degraded than they were even in 1970 or 1980, right? So again, because we've, we've, put all of this taxpayer money and incentives, these are policy choices, right? In order to make this credentialing treadmill work, um, what we've done is created a glut, and everyone kind of knows this instinctively, a glut of people who went to college who have degrees, which has allowed employers to then use it as a threshold uh, requirement a lot of employers now are essentially using a college degree to make sure that you can pass a drug test, show up on time, and you'll learn some basics on the job. It's not connected to anything that you learn in college. And there's another piece we can get into this as we get into the more uh, complicated and technical part of this as well, is that it would be a lot you know, cheaper and fairer in many ways to establish basic competency without people having to take out $80,000 to prove that they like have some basic competencies for entry-level jobs. Well, a lot of the other ways that employers are would be testing for that kind of basic competency will be uh ruled having a disparate impact by the yep. EEOC, right? So there's a civil rights um law component to this that for some reason, I mean, um, Gail Harriet, who's a fantastic scholar on this the impact of the civil rights um and civil rights law and, and generally specifically and, and has written about the EEOC, she says that basically um it's totally arbitrary what the EEOC chooses to bar, presumptively, as as racially discriminatory, right? Because almost every, every uh, you know, screening mechanism produces a disparate impact, right? Every single one you can think of, presumptively everything is illegal under the Civil Rights Act, but it's what the EEOC chooses and what it doesn't to actually look at. And so what they have looked at are, for example, screening tests, right? or Or anything r- r- um, close to aptitude tests. What they haven't decided to look at the disparate impact of is college credentialing, um, even though that also produces a disparate impact, right? So um, that is one of the few ways employers have left under our current regime to try to test for basic competence. But all of this put together is a system where the taxpayer has paid, I mean, trillions of dollars to universities over the years to essentially nudge people into getting this product, which now also comes with a strong side of an ideological indoctrination, right? So the taxpayer right now under this system is paying uh, the university sector to be more powerful, to be a powerful ideological gatekeeper, to credential our ruling class, right? There's no reason why the government should be so strongly pushing that route, but that's the background. So I think that's like the sort of background before you even get to forgiveness, student loans, right? Before that kid ever signs on that $100,000 dotted line, that's the house he's stepping into.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of jealous of the way the left is able to just weave this kind of stuff together, right? Like, look at this amazing system that we basically legally mandated, because you're not allowed to use any of the standard ways that we would actually look and understand and vet people for large scale employment. You know, we don't know who you are. We don't know where you're coming from. This isn't a hometown business. So how do how do we uh, look at your competence? How do we figure this out? Well, we've made everything except the system we control illegal. And so now you have to go into this. And by the way, we've made like acquiring loans through this. You you can't discharge them. They're required. There is there is a constant inflation of the value of these things. So we're going to we're going to force you to pay us egregious amounts of money to get indoctrinated into the things we believe. And this is the only way employers can know if you're halfway competent because we've made all the other parts of this illegal. Oh, and by the way, conservatives won't want to talk about any of that stuff because like talking about the distribution of how those tests fall out is also taboo. And so just it's just this beautiful like ironclad system almost of like how to make sure that everything has to go through uh, kind, of, kind of our patronage network, uh, reinforce our ideology and all of those things. But yeah, I think you're right that a lot of conservatives don't think about the choice that's been put before Uh, you know, kids. At this point, yes, finally, the Republican Party has suddenly decided that it's a working class party, and that's a good development, I suppose. Overall, I'm glad that they've made that choice. But you're right to say that these pathways have been completely broken down. Basically, kind of the random piece of advice that that everyone gives is like go into the trades and eventually start your own business, and that is a decent piece of advice for a certain amount of people. Like that, that is. Kind of the best way to avoid college while also becoming a small business owner for many people, but not everyone's going to be a plumber. Not everyone's going to go to, into the trades, and so you have to have a realistic understanding of where the majority of the population is, is going to be entering into the workforce. And when your only plan is like, well, I, I hope you become a plumber instead of working you know, an office job or, or having anything inside the information economy, that's just ceding a massive amount of ground to your enemy.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think I would maybe rephrase one of the things you said, right? It's not just that, uh, you know, not everyone is going to go into the trades or, as you said, not everyone's going to become a plumber. That's true, but that's sort of the background. Um, we have invested trillions and trillions of dollars and, you know, I don't know how many, you know, lines of of regulation and law uh, in making sure that the college route is the heavily subsidized and preferred route. And we've been doing that since the great society, right? So when you say like, oh, you know, not everyone's going to be a plumber, that's true, but it's also true that our entire um, you know, policy choices and, and the entire ga- government apparatus, and that's before we even touch culture, right, and cultural norms, um, is is designed to create more college graduates. I mean, Obama used to say on the stump that he wanted every American to have a college degree by 2020, okay? So th- there is this 60 or 70-year project, really since LBJ, um, to make college indispensable, make it just an extension of K-12, right? Um, and then One other point I want to make because only because I think um, this is something that a lot of people just don't know because it's so absurd that I think their their common sense is kicking in and they're like, oh, no, that can't be the case. They think these loans are held by banks. You are the bank, Mm -hmm. right? The the federal government owns 93 percent of these loans. And when they default as about half of them were projected to by 2023 before the pandemic, right? We just started repayment. We don't know what's going to happen. But in 2019, the projection was that nearly half of these student loans would be in default by 2023. So if we do nothing, there will be a functional bailout, right? And it will come from the taxpayer because the Department of Ed holds these loans. You hold them. And the same thing applies, for example, to discharging loans through bankruptcy, right? If we make bankruptcy easier for student loans, guess who's the creditor sitting at the other side of the table who's going to get screwed in bankruptcy? It's you. So we're going to have a taxpayer bailout by an, a different name if we essentially do nothing. So that's the baseline right now. Um, and and so I, I just, I have found that uh, even like people who, who are really uh, smart and involved in politics don't understand this. It's a fairly recent phenomenon. There used to be a kind of Fannie and Freddie style, uh, half private situation where there were private banks making these loans, but the federal government was securitizing them or acting as guarantor, um, which is an implied bailout. Right. Uh, Mm. but under the Obama administration, these loans were effectively nationalized. So when you're dealing with a company like Navient or whatever, that is just a contractor for the federal government. That's dealing with the administrative process of the loans. Um, the, the, the burden is already on the taxpayers. We as taxpayers have extended all of these loans. And it's easy to see why, right? Um, It's connected to the college cost problem. Because Wells Fargo, right, is not going to be making these loans of, let's say, endlessly, let's say $120,000 to every 18-year-old who graduates from high school without doing an evaluation. Is the school degree worth this kind of money, what's the average you know, salary of a graduate in that particular program, right? These are things that, that a bank would do before looking at, you know, even thinking about giving an 18 year old that kind of money and that kind of loan. Um, well, the federal government's not gonna do that, right? The federal government has made this decision that this is quote unquote good debt, it's responsible debt. Um, and it's just gonna put that blank check in front of every high school graduate in America because it's good to go to college right? And, and so there's no financial evaluation. Um, and And so like, you can see how, I think in, in any other context, we would call this very obviously identified as predatory lending, right? Where the universities get to send like glossy emails with those, you know, perfectly diverse photos where like there's a kid in a wheelchair and a Hispanic kid, an Asian kid, a black, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Burger um, King they Kids send those, Club, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, they send those glossy emails. They advertise trips abroad. They advertise their rock climbing walls and lazy rivers. They advertise how much fun it is to be on campus for four years. Um, and in the meantime, the federal government is coming in and giving every 18-year-old this essentially blank check. And universities can keep raising their prices over and over and over again, because the feds keep granting a bigger and bigger check to every kid who graduates high school. So you can see, it's like a sort of predatory scheme. The universities have, uh, they have um, the incentive to admit as many people as possible, even if they're totally academically unqualified, which is why there's only a 60% graduation rate from from four year universities. But the six year graduation rate is only 60%, right? So not just people who finished in four years, but people who finished in six years is it's just over half right? Um, Because they have that incentive to keep pulling in anyone who comes with that federal check. And all of this has benefited for decades, has benefited universities, but it screwed everyone else. It screws the taxpayer who's now on the hook for these loans that are vastly disproportionate and can't be paid back based on the value of the degree, right? It screws the students who are now on, under this amount of debt, um, for life, and and there is a lot of evidence that people are delaying, for example, purchasing houses. You know, I I, I find the marriage thing a little bit uh, of a stretch, um, but but certainly taking on other kinds of debt, like cars and houses. Um, so you know, students are struggling under this level of debt. Taxpayers are financing that level of debt. Universities get their paycheck free and clear. That's the system. The way the system's set up, it's it's a grant to universities.
0: Yeah, we, we need to re-stigmatize usury, um, which which is exactly what this is, and and it should be recognized as as a program that is incredibly predatory. And I hear what you're saying about you know, but but I do from my own personal experience, from from looking at you know people in my life, this really does keep them from family formation. It really does keep them from moving into this, which I mean, honestly, is a boon for the left, of course, because. That's uh, that's a great predictor of support for them, you know, is is is, uh, you know, halting kind of adulthood is a great way to ensure that uh, th- this creates a, a kind of a lifelong voter uh, out of these people who are going to college and going deeply into debt and, and never you know forming families, getting houses, those kind of things. So it, it's kind of wins for them all around. But if we understand, obviously, that this is a problem. I think the answer for most conservatives and the right to be worried about this is, well, any kind of bailout is just going to be, um, you know, a a paycheck for leftist supporters. Right. It's just you're just going to be cutting all of these people, uh, you know, uh, free checks. Basically, you're just going to be paying them off. It's going to be a bunch of people who are far more likely to vote left. So why would I ever bail these people out? Why would I ever uh, you know uh, address this problem because these people are are inevitably just going to be far more left wing and this is just a wealth transfer to a, a bunch of progressive ideologues uh, you've already addressed in some ways that th- this is going to be a bailout no matter what so it has to be addressed but but what would you say to people who are like no matter what we do this is always just going to be a freebie to leftists
1: yeah so i i think it's it's basically what y- you anticipated which is uh, the fact that this is going to happen if we do nothing right you're exactly right that this is uh you know and i've written myself that this is a handout to democratic constituencies by some accounts um biden's forgiveness plan uh half his, the people who worked in his white house qualified for his forgiveness plan right so that's how close that the nexus is between like bailing out essentially the professional managerial class who's really um taking on an enormous amount of debt but then having higher salaries um there are people who are in a, a, a like A much more um, legitimately struggling situation with this. So, I mentioned the 60% graduation rate. The worst possible situation that you can be in, right, is that you have, let's say, the debt of two or three years of university and then you drop out um, and you don't have that college degree. Uh, That's the worst possible situation. That's where a lot of these defaults are coming from. Um, But generally, right, yes, I agree. This is sort of a grant to leftist constituencies. Why would we do this? Um, And to me, it all comes down to who pays. So if we do nothing, we will pay, um, we, the taxpayer and, and the majority of people who did not get a college degree and all the people who ate ramen for 20 years to pay off their student loans, they're all going to pay if we do nothing. Um, and I I explained why, just because we already hold these loans and these loans are going to go into default, but also politically, because it continues to be a really salient issue for Democrats. Um, there is a lot of evidence that the their Democrat bump from young people in the midterms came from the announcement of that Biden forgiveness plan. It gets young people to the polls um, because it is an issue that that impacts their pocketbook, right? Um, so this is this is a, a huge political boon for Democrats. I think then the issue is who's going to pay for it and who's going to get the political benefit for solving this problem. Um, I think the universities should pay for it. And that's the that's the proposal that I've I've written is essentially, yes, if this is going to be a bailout to Democratic constituencies, let's take it from the other Democratic constituencies, the universities that have benefited from this system that we've been talking about for the last, you know, 15 minutes. Right. Um, this system that has has pumped trillions of dollars and forced people into this pipeline that is ideologically controlled by the left and, by the way, has produced enormous benefits for universities. So there's been something like 21 million uh, square feet of new construction in universities. The vast majority of it in the last couple of decades is not classroom use, meaning it's rock climbing walls. Like I said, it's gyms, it's ways to advertise. So those 18-year-olds, they're in like sort of an amenities race. Um, It's fancy dorms, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, um, you know, and, and universities have also used a lot of that money to expand their administrative roles, Speaking of patronage, right, the entire DEI departments, the fact that they can hire, you know, 40 people for a small university, right, Uh, to run their DEI department all at six-figure salaries, a lot of that comes from essentially wealth transfer from the federal government. That's the system that we live in under now. So I think it's, it's just even living aside politics, right? Um, That the beneficiaries of this system for decades will pay the bill when it comes due. But there's an additional point here um, that I think is really important. If we go with the Biden plan, you know, that was struck down by, by uh, the Supreme court for uh, separation of powers reasons, let's say that Democrats pass that plan through Congress. Um, If we go with that plan, in four years, the level of debt will be exactly the same, as if we had never done it, right? This is a, this is a, a continuing rollover problem because the universities are able to raise tuition so far above inflation because all that free federal money is available. So think of it this way, right? Um, the federal government says that they're going to loan students, you know, thousand dollars to go to college, right? Um the universities know that most people have a little something saved up for college. So now tuition used to be $1,000, which is why the federal government made it that. But then now it's now it's uh, $1,100, right? Because everybody's got 100 bucks extra to to throw in. And you can see how at escalating scale, you end up with this runaway cost problem that that we've all seen, right? That's pressing on the middle class where the cost of university is just completely wild compared to even 20 years ago. I think it's uh, public universities have doubled over the last um, 25 years, and and uh, private universities have tripled their costs in real dollars, right? So you're talking about in the span of a couple decades. Um, so that's what's enabled all of that. All of that cash fuel has gone into universities, right? And now they want to dump the bailout on the taxpayer when they've already been the recipient of all of these trillions of dollars. And by the way, Harvard and Yale have um, endowments that make them, you know, somewhere in the middle of the pack of the top 10 hedge funds in the United States, right? So they're sitting on all this money um, that they've gotten very much not through the operation of the free market, but through essentially wealth transfers from the federal government. And bailing this, this bailout will only make that cycle worse, right? Because then the expectation will be there'll be another bailout and another bailout and another bailout. And so what I've proposed is tying, essentially making the universities responsible going forward. So using this to raise a a tax on endowments and university property, which they're huge landowners, right, Um, on property tax and endowments to raise a pool that will pay for for, um, student loan forgiveness for the most struggling borrowers. And we can define that however would like I anything. Mean, I, I think the Biden plan actually is not a terrible one in terms of the that payout output, right? Um, you, you, you fund a pool based on taxing universities and taking some of that wealth from them. And, and going forward, they know that if the student loan crisis becomes bad again, they're the ones funding the pool, not the taxpayers. It's connected. And so it creates an incentive going forward for them to actually admit people who are academically prepared to actually, uh, you know, hold down their costs insofar as they're able to do that. And not just to continually raise prices because they know if the student loan debt crisis becomes a crisis again, that they're the ones who are going to be on the hook for the bailout. Cause right now, the assumption is that, you know, we're going to pay.
0: So I think that's a really good incentive structure. You've got to you've got to have something that, like you said, is long term going to put a halt to this and it's going to get these people to, uh, you know, th- think about the way that they're implementing their their uh, scaling costs. But I guess the question is, is there any appetite for this among the actual Republican Party? Right. Like Will Chamberlain has been saying seize the endowments for for a long time now, you know. But, but are there, are there, is there anyone, you know, in Congress, is there, is there anyone who, you know, is listening to this, yeah, you know, Republicans here are raised taxes and I'm sure, you know, somewhere their you know, uh, their, their spirit leaves their body, but is, is there anyone who's actually thinking about how to implement this about passing this kind of legislation?
1: So two things, one, yes, the, all the usual suspects, um, might be interested, right. The sort of populist Republicans, um, who are, are, uh, let's say are not going to immediately run for the Hills when they hear a tax hike. Um, but this is actually, there is precedent to doing this. There is a tiny in, in the Trump tax cuts, right? There actually was a tax hike on university endowments. Now it's like 1.7%, right? So it's, it's minuscule, but it exists. It's on the books. And one of the things I propose is by is, is essentially to raise that tax the same level as any other hedge fund. Um, so, and, and there, there's, there's a lot of like, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of work also for, I'm not a tax expert, um, but I, have proposed a few in this, um, this white paper that's available over at IWF.org. Um, it's under the heading taxing universities. I've proposed a few other things. There's money for states and property taxes, right? The university of California is the largest landowner in in the state. Um, and that's true in a lot of states where the largest landowner is this, you know, the university pool. So, um, I think there's there is a, a variety of ways to do this. I think there's some interest in doing it. A small version of it has already passed over the squeals of lobbyists from universities, um, and and furthermore, I think there is some interest in in doing this simply because there are even I, I've been surprised and I can't you know obviously I'm not going to reveal names or whatever, but I've had some interest from some like quite moderate quite quite moderate Republicans, um, because I think they recognize this is politically going to happen one way or the other. Um, and they'd like to have some control over it and they'd like to not burn a giant hole in the federal budget. So one one of the um one of the like sort of travesties of all of this is that uh in the scoring on the, in the federal budget, these loans are actually ranked as assets for the government. It's very much like the subprime mortgage crisis, right? Um, these loans are bundled and they're, um, they're, they're in the quote unquote black because people assume that there are going to be payments made on them that are just not going to be made by any, like any sober headed analysis, these payments are not going to be made. And so part of the problem is on the federal budget, that quote unquote money, right. Is paying for Obamacare. Um, so I think there are some more moderate or more like Reaganite, you know, sort of 80s style Republicans who realize that this is a financial gimmick, um, that that this is going to, you know, be a problem for, for the budgeting. It's going to be a problem for the you know the deficit and, and the debt and everything else. And so some of those deficit hawks actually might be interested in this kind of proposal if they can wrap their mind around the idea of actually taxing, you know, institutions that have been essentially have treated them and people who think like them as enemies for the last 70 years, right? People on the right have been complaining about universities being left leaning since William F. Buckley wrote Gone man, of Yale 70, 70 years ago. And it, it's obviously only gotten worse since then. And what's happened since then is we've allowed essentially the, the Democrats and the left to build an enormous, enormous subsidization like network uh, to make universities incredibly powerful, uh, both financially and also just as a matter of ideology they you know this is a policy choice there used to be more of a varied elite in this country it didn't used to be that the elite went through the same 10 schools um it used to be that there was a more of a regional elite and you'd get you know like uh You'd get, get uh, scions of various different kinds of industries from different states, different cities, right? It wasn't so uniformly. There wasn't. They might have had sort of class interests in terms of, of taxes or something direct on their business, but you don't see this kind of cultural lockstep that we see now. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, um, in order to get into the American elite, you have to go to the same handful of universities that are teaching the same handful of things that are super, super far left. That's not a natural situation. That's a situation we've created through law and, and through policy choices. And those policy choices can be undone. Um, and that's what I'm proposing is essentially take a step back, look at this. This is not a free market. It'll be like talk directly to the free market side. I consider myself a free marketer. This is not the free market. It hasn't been for 70 years. Um, you're talking about something that is that is closer to a utility already, um in terms of of the relationship between the government and and the product and what I'm suggesting is, you know, it, you want to um, you want to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You want to be heavily subsidized and heavily regulated by the, the government and make your product practically mandatory for every 18-year-old graduate in America. Well, then you're going to have to pay for the consequences of your essentially malfeasance of raising um, raising tuition well beyond what the average middle-class family can pay and dumping debt onto people that has no relationship to the value of the degree that you're offering. You don't get it both ways. You don't get to cry free market when I'm interested in, in um, you know, levying a tax for the, for the problem that you've created. And then at the same time, turn around and take massive subsidies in the form of back, federally backed student loans and then just straight up grants from the feds. You don't get to play both sides of that fence.
0: Yeah, but that game has worked so well for the left on on multiple fronts, right? Like this is basically true of corporations and, and, and most you know, of the kind of monolithic uh, organizations that that our managerial class kind of occupy this is this is the game that's played so often uh, that that kind of keeps conservatives at bay and let's be honest you know conservatives have willingly bought into this like you said they've been complaining about the university for over 70 years but you know you they really liked watching the sports team and so they'll still send their money and their kids this stuff you know, kind of over and over. It, it again. always
1: amazes me, the, the number of conservatives who are still making writing big checks to their alma maters. Um, that's still very much a thing, right? Um, there are people writing checks to Harvard and Yale, uh, even though they're like very rich people, right? Um, they're donating, let's say, you know, $100,000 to some Republican candidate, and then they'll turn around and donate a million dollars to their university to put their name on the wall. And I'm like, how do you not understand that these two entities are at war with each other, right? Um, and Because they're, they're not really the at enemy. war with
0: each other. That's kind of the problem, but sorry.
1: Well, I mean, let's say, forget about the particular candidate. I'm just saying these are people with conservative values uh, who probably agree with a ton of what we've said on this program, um, but they they still have that connection to the university um, that they, they went through. And I understand, you know, it's, it is like in some way, it is part of civic society, these kinds of, um, you know, sort of civic functions that the Friday night football game is a a real American function that brings towns together, that brings people together. And universities did, did serve that purpose. But right now, they are, and have been for a long time, incredibly aggressive political actors that are opposed to everything that you hold dear. And I don't... That, that that deep understanding really has to, I guess, the friend enemy distinction really has to sink in. I think not just for Republicans um, who are elected, who they have their own incentives, as you point out, but but also for uh, conservatives who who simply are living in a time where universities—they might have been left wing and they might have had a few crazy professors, right? But they weren't this like essentially ideologically credentialing. They're credentialing political officers. They're graduating an army of HR officers to get you fired. There is no reason that you should you or a taxpayer's money should be supporting these ideological entities that are your enemies in in the political battle. It is politically suicidal for Republicans to continue to, you know, green light trillions of dollars in loans to these universities. And if they are going to green light those loans, then for sure we have the right to claw back some of to use the left's favorite, you know, phrasing right to claw back um some some of that our fair share of that public money so that when their graduates need to be bailed out it doesn't come from a mechanic in ohio it comes from harvard and yale
0: do you think that there's any chance of shaming the left into adopting some of this you know obviously uh, they're going to recognize that this is a, a, an attack on uh, you know on their patronage system i think be decent amount but do you feel like the, the argument is compelling enough? You're like, okay, you guys want to do student loans uh, forgiveness. We, here's the way it gets done. I mean, do, do you think you can actually get them to fall for this? Because you're going to need to for for this to actually pass through.
1: Um, So I don't think it's completely impossible. Uh, also, this kind of tax is probably part of a larger budget negotiation, right? Um, so it's not going to be negotiated in isolation. Um, I, I think there are, to the extent that there is like sort of uh, populism, On the left, um, Bernie would never go for this, uh, but some of his supporters might. Um, I think actually on the local level, there's quite a bit of uh, tension in the Democratic coalition about universities, if you look at uh, nearly every university town, there is kind of a a war between the university and the municipality, exactly because they displace the tax base, right? So if you want money for social programs or even legitimate functions of of, uh, municipal government, right? uh, The universities displace the tax base and some of them pay a sort of pittance voluntarily into the city fisc, but it's nowhere near what the city would have gotten if that university space was instead, for example, businesses or homes or whatever else, right? Um, and so universities have had this major carve out from virtually all important taxes because they're a quote unquote nonprofit. Um, it's really hard to make the argument that you're a nonprofit when you have $51 trillion. Sorry, $51 billion. That'd be a lot. <laughs> $51 billion in your um in in your endowment, right? It's it's really hard to make the argument, I think, that you are a a let me let me rephrase that argument rests on the idea that universities are contributing to the public good in some way, right? If, you, if we boil this down to the simplest argument for all of these subsidies and all of this special treatment that universities have gotten um, for, from the tax code or in, in a thousand other ways from the federal government in terms of subsidies and everything else, there's really two, two basic promises that make that make sense, right? One is you're going to make us richer, right? That That uh, your graduates are going to be uh, making more money and they're, they're going to be starting businesses and they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be raising the GDP, right? Um, That's still true, but it's much less true than it was in 1970. In other words, the marginal value of getting a degree comparatively over the lifetime of earnings to the cost has basically flatlined for a bachelor's degree um, and hasn't really improved since the 1970s as well as everything else has gone up. Right. So um, that, that, Uh, proposition, the financial one, is much more tenuous than it once was. Um, But the second proposition is more intrinsic, right? And it goes to the heart of that public good, that it is good for people to be educated. It is good for especially a country like America. Uh, You know, Thomas Jefferson famously, uh, you know, made this argument about universal K12 education right um that it was necessary to for some kind of universal public education in in a republic um there there's the the liberal arts tradition there's the western canon these are intrinsically good things well i mean you know, you're over there like, you know, uh, laughing, right? The, the idea that universities are producing, you know, wiser citizens who understand the burdens of, of uh, being citizens in, in, in the American Republic and understand the Constitution is completely laughable. They're doing the opposite. Um, so I think on either, either one of these bases, universities have essentially violated whatever promise they ever had to be working in, in favor of the public good, and this may sound like, um, you know, something that you or I, Oren, would talk about, right, um, the, the sort of uh, the, the, the real right wing or uh, right flank of the American political discussion. But it, it really isn't because um, the majority of Americans say that, that universities are net negative on the country, the majority, and that includes a lot of independents. Um, so that the people realize that the deal these universities are offering is not a good one. Um, it's part of the reason that a lot of parents of Gen Zers are reconsidering the college track, right? Seeing what had happened to our generation, to the millennials and getting, you know, squashed under this level of debt. Um, look, I, I, I think they've essentially broken to the extent that they ever followed those promises. They've completely broken them now. And there's no justification political or like straight policy wise or morally for us to continue to shovel trillions of dollars to these institutions. It makes no sense. And it's particularly suicidal if you're a conservative.
0: Yeah, I think that case is well made. And like I said, I, I think this is really important because, mm-hmm. again, this should be a winning issue, I think, for conservatives. This should be something you can steal the thunder out from from under these people. Uh, you you can kind of take the wind out of their sails rather than just having the, uh, you know, very reactionary. Well, you know, I oppose this because the left, uh, you know, supports this understanding to, you know, use a little judo here, take the momentum and, and push it a different direction. I think the, you know, the way that you're laying out about kind of how this would get done uh, should alleviate most of the concerns people have and the necessity of it because the bailout's going to come way or another. I think all of that makes sense for a lot of people. So, uh, you know hopefully there's there's some movement there but while i have you i want to pick your brain on something here i I think one of the biggest problems obviously with with this is not just like a lot of people understand that college degrees at this point don't really give you a particularly good education or particularly valuable skill set i mean if you want to be a doctor or an engineer great but I think a lot of people understand that you probably don't need to get a degree to become a you know grocery store manager or something, even though that's now become the necessity. But the real issue is status, right? That's really what we're talking about. Most people want to go to college. Most parents want their kids to go to college because that confers a level of legitimacy. It says you belong to a certain socioeconomic class. It says that you, know, you, you have something that makes you valuable. Now, we've kind of talked about how it's unnatural for everyone to go to the same 10 schools and for the leadership class to come from this. But I don't know, because, you know, in some ways, I think this is part of a civilizational cycle. You know, we we get to the point where civilizational complexity draws, you know, ba- basically you have this IQ shredder phenomenon where like all of these institutions hoover up everybody of a certain Uh, intelligence or promise uh, out of the hinterlands and pull them into these uh, urban centers and that becomes a a, you know the status signifier you hollow out the leadership class from from localities and regionalities and you draw it all into a few places inside the empire i I think that's a a repeatable phenomenon and i just wonder i think you know at some point maybe it's a failure of conservatives or the right to imagine a different type of status to 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 Confer a way to confer elite status onto their own people, or to give cultural weight to their own people. But on the other hand, I think there is a real mechanical problem at like scale of civilization that you're dealing with, and I wonder if that's something that we can actually address in a meaningful way without really, you know, having to see some like basically if if this car has to run into a hard wall before you know anyone goes a different direction with like how we allocate. Uh, that status and that understanding of of power inside uh, in the country.
1: So I, I think um, Spencer Clavin uh, has a great article at the American Mind about this, um, where he talks about I think status is somewhat misleading. It's honors, right? That the traditional. Um, like the sort of ancient way we would talk about this is, is honors. What honors are bestowed on whom for what reason in a civilization is obviously important, always has been equally important, even as something like, for example, money, right? That now in a, a modern capitalist economy, they, they tend to go together, but not always, right? Think about you know the honors of being like uh there, there there are all kinds of high, highly honored positions that are not particularly um well paid. I mean, teaching is one of them, right? Um, so I think that's that's the more precise word. Look, the real benefit of going to Yale is that it's a bunch of um, already, for the most part, statistically already wealthy people's kids who are smart in a room together who are going to go on to do great things, and it's really essentially a networking retreat for four years, right? Right. Um, there is no earthly reason for the taxpayer to subsidize that, is what I would say right? If that's exactly what, and I, I agree with you, I think that's largely what elite colleges are. Um, these like essentially elite networking grooming for success and being around, even being around these, these other folks who have these same intelligence markers and same um, financial background, which by the way, you know, the sensible reason for turning on the spigot during the great society uh, to, to universities and to fund student loans was that, you know, bright kids, from poor families should of course have the opportunity to go um, to the elite universities alongside the kids of the wealthy um, who if they qualify and they're smart enough and hard-working enough to do so that was the the, the basis on which lbj sold this massive government uh sort of subsidy to uh, through loans to universities right um today versus when the great society programs first started passing there's a smaller percentage of kids on campus who come from the lower half of the income spectrum than there was in 1970. So it's, it's done the exact opposite. What it's done is escalated the cost to such a degree that the bright kids from poor families, particularly if they're white, as you well know, um, they don't get the, the, the boost of, of the diversity boost, right, uh, in affirmative action, um, it's locked them out of university entirely. Because the cost is just now so astronomical, and the debt you have to take on is so astronomical that you essentially have to be in the in the middle class or really the upper middle class to be able to even you know conceivably pay off that kind of debt. Um, And so what it's done is it's locked bright poor kids out of university. So the exact opposite of of what they intended. But again, I will return to the idea: if we all acknowledge that these are you know elite networking events, like. I feel about paying for that the exact same way as I feel about, you know, the paying for Google buses, yeah. right. There's a distinction or, or what is it? Vibe camp.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, again, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, obviously like that you're preaching to the choir on the necessity of stripping this stuff out. I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is can't, do you think that the right has a way to envision an alternative, you know, beyond like, obviously we don't want to fund our enemies. <laughs> like, there's a way because what you talked about was like the loss of regionality, right? Like the, the unnatural si- situation there. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, is, is it possible for there to be a devolution of this, you know, way in which we, we layer honors on on uh, our citizens? Like, is there a way to return this to a place where, um, you know, n- not just the money flowing in, but but because let's be honest the money's going to continue to flow in as long as every red state parent knows that their kid's only going to look like a aristocrat if they can get them into a blue university, right? Like that, like, like like you're not going to be able to make the case. I think for a lot of people at the end of the day, we strip this money out. If they still think that that's the institution they've got to get their kid into for them to look like they are someone of, you know, status or renown or honor?
1: So a, f- a few answers there, and this is this is really in many ways the heart of the problem, right? Um, one, I do think, and this is sort of the black-pilled answer, I do think that we have to make the shift from political opposition to political dissident um, and understand that actually conservative, your, your kids will be locked out of certain things unless they're willing to mouth the, you know, the shibboleths of the regime unless they're willing to participate in that ideological regime, they will be locked out of certain halls of power. It's a reality. Now, I hope that's not the reality forever, and I realize that it's, like, that's a hard thing to accept, but I do think that, so that's my background, you know, sort of assumption in in going in to talk about this. Now, what you're really talking about, and here I'm completely speculating, when it comes to, like, sort of university policy, I have precise goals and I've done, you know, whatever, 10 years, I'm now (laughs) flaunting my, the expert credentials, right? Um, I've done more than a decade of of sort of policy work and reading this legislation. So I feel very uh, confident in saying, you know, what we should do with regard to student loans, for example, or, or, but this is a different question. This is really a, a civilization level question, or at least a regime one. Um, I think the answer has to do somewhat with recognizing what our economy actually produces. Um, and recognizing how much of our actual GDP is, you know, BS, right. Um, and this is connected to the whole, like Elon Musk, we, we talked about last time I was on, you know, Elon Musk cutting 70% of the jobs at Twitter and still being able to run the company. Well, what, what is, what is all of that fluff that he was cutting? What's all that fat? It's highly credentialed people who essentially have email jobs, at, at best, they, they do nothing and they don't add anything to the bottom line of the company. And at worst, they're sort of the ideological enforcement arm of, of within the private sector. And so I think part of the shift, if if, if the conservative idea or the right-wing sort of vision for returning America um, to more secure footing uh, in terms of, of a nation itself... I think there's an understanding that we have to return to making things. Um, and I think an economy that produces things with a hard goal, um, where it it is harder to fudge, it's not so heavily dependent on the PMC class, it's not so heavily dependent. Obviously, there's going to be administrators and and office workers and so on, but but underlying this is a shift in the economy from making and producing real things of value. And I'm I'm not saying that it has to be even manufacturing. I'm saying like, even in the tech world, right, there has to be a product at the end of the day to this sort of decadent economy where the the wheels of bureaucracy themselves eat up so much of of, of essentially the GDP, and, and they're not really producing anything other than ideological compliance, right? Um, so I think, the question you're asking is quite deep. In other words, how do we get from a society where because we are so wealthy, we can afford to essentially lay honors on people for no other reason other than they're probably smarter than average. And, um, they say the right things that the regime likes, uh, that, you know, America is a rich country and we can do that for a long time. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to find out that we're not producing real wealth underlying all of this fluff that's on top of it. And I, I I think there is going to be somewhat of a reckoning, whether that comes in the the form of, you know, a war where we can't produce, uh, you know, we're no longer the arsenal of democracy that we were in world war two. Right. Um, Detroit is a crater in the ground, but, but in 19, uh, 1943, it outproduced a country of Italy, just one city. Right. Um, we're going to have to feel at some point we are going to slam into the reality of that. Uh, And I think this has to do a lot with that. That problem is the fact that we can't afford to keep shoveling, you know, trillions of dollars to universities to graduate people whose only skill is, you know, being marginally intelligent and being able to name all 56 genders.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. All right, so uh, we're going to pivot over here. I got a question or two from the audience, but before we do, where should everybody look for your great work? Do you have anything coming up that people should keep an eye out for?
1: Yeah, I'm really focused on this proposal just because people are are uh, paying their loans now for the first time yeah. in three years. Um, so it's it's going it's to be back on the table in a real way. Um, so you can find that proposal at, at Taxing Universities, which is the name is at iwf.org. It's one of our policy focuses. I always want to say foci, uh, but I think it's focuses. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a backgrounder. It's only uh, about three pages long and like kind of wide space type, right? It's easy to read. Um, I, I really want I, you know I, I want this proposal to circulate not because my name is on it, but because I, I think it really could be a way out um something that is popular that allows Republicans to be granting the jubilee. I mean, debt jubilees are the oldest trick in the, the populist book, I think. Um, but but really allows Republicans to to seize a higher ground here and allows us to drop this this bill where it ought to belong and coincidentally on the doorstep of people who hate us. So what is to dislike about it?
0: Absolutely. All right, guys. Make sure that you go ahead and check that out. Let's go over here real quick. Uh, looks like we've got Skeptical Panda here for five dollars. I like it now. It's because she knows what part of the movie we're in. Stay based. Absolutely. I like that emoji. <laughs> All right, the emoji of concern. Is that like? a hard, hard
1: Yeah, I can't. <laughs> it's a very ambiguous face.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks, man. We appreciate it. All right, let's see. I think that's everybody there. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming by. And as always, a great time talking to you. Make sure that you're checking out her stuff, guys. And of course, if this is your first time on the channel, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. And of course, if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you subscribe to our McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. I'll see you guys later.